0: Today then, we're going to have a look at the chapter ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ بِذِكْرِ أَسْمَائِهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ The remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes of Allah The remembrance of Allah through the names and attributes of Allah So it mentions here (laughs) اِنَّ مِنْ أَجَلِّ وَأَفْضَلِهِ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى بِذِكْرِ أَسْمَائِهِ الْحُسْنَى وَصِفَاتِهِ الْعَظِيمَةِ That from the greatest type of dhikr, from the greatest type of the remembrance of Allah, is through the names, the perfect and beautiful names and the great attributes of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wa thana'u alayhi bima huwa ahlu bima athna bihi ala nafsihi wa bima athna alayhi abiduhu wa rasuluhu Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min nuyut jalal wa sifati kamal wa anwa' al-mahamid wa nahi and also to praise Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala with that which he praised himself with And that which the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam Praised Allah with In mentioning the great attributes of Allah And the perfect and complete types of the praise upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And it is mentioned That dhikr is too tight احدهما ذكر اسماء الرب الحسنى وصفاته العظيمه والثناي عليه بها وتنزيحه سبحانه وتقديسه عما لا يليق به تبارك وتعالى وهذا ايضا Noan. so the first thing when it comes to this type of dhikr is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Through the remembrance of the names of Allah The perfect and beautiful names And the great attributes of Allah And praise upon them Praise of Allah Upon those great names and attributes of Allah And he mentions here now That there are different types even within this And the first of them is إن شاء الثناء عليه بها من الذاكر That the one who is doing the remembrance and the ذكر He himself brings about and mentions the praise upon Allah He is the one who mentions that himself وَهَاذَا النَّوْعُ هُوَ الْمَذْكُورُ فِي الْحَدِيثِ الْمُشْتَمِلَ عَلَى الْحَثِّ عَلَى حَمْدِ اللَّهِ وَتَكْبِيرِهِ وَتَصْبِيحِهِ And this is basically what is mentioned in the hadith Many hadith encouraging the servants to do the remembrance of Allah To say subhanallah, to say alhamdulillah To say la ilaha illallah, to say allahu akbar All of those types of words There are many narrations about them and the reward of saying them that is one of the types of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It's mentioned in a hadith where the Prophet sallallahu sallam said In a hadith in Sahih Muslim أحب الكلام إلى الله The most beloved of speech to Allah أحب Kalami إلى الله بعد Quran After the Qur'an Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa ilaha illallah, wa Allahu Akbar. That it is, Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, and Allahu Akbar. Those are the best of the speech, the best of the remembrance after the speech or the Quran, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another narration it mentions in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim man qala subhanallahi wa bihamdihi fi yawmin 100 or 100 marra hutat khatayaahu in kanat mithla zubd al-bahr Garhoomsoever says whoever says subhanallah And alhamdulillah or subhanallah wa bihamdihi During the day a hundred times Then his sins will be erased from him Even if they are like the form of the sea Whoever says Subhanallah wa bihamdihi A hundred times in the day Then his sins will be wiped out Even if they were like the form of the sea. وَكَذَلِكَ قَوْلُهُ صَلَىٰهِ سَلَّمُ And also the Prophet ﷺ said... كَلِمَتَانِ خَفِيفَتَانِ عَلَى اللِّسَانِ ثَقِيلَتَانِ عَلَى اللِّيزَانِ حَبِيبَتَانِ لِلْرَّحْمَانِ The Prophet ﷺ said in this hadith which is also in Bukhari and Muslim that there are two words kalimatani khafifatani that are very easy two very small simple words upon the tongue khafifatani ala lisan there are two very simple and easy words to say upon the tongue but they are faqilatani fil mizan they are heavy in the weighing scales so even though they are very easy to say They will have a lot of reward attached to them And they will be very heavy in the weighing scales on the Day of Judgment What are those two words? Subhanallah wa bihamdihi And Subhanallah azim Subhanallah Wa bihamdihi Subhanallah azim So the person who does this type of dhikr Does the remembrance of Allah mentions these types of words and supplications on a daily basis? You can see the great reward that is mentioned for it. Very easy to say upon the tongue, the Messenger said. They are very easy to say upon the tongue, but they are very heavy on the weighing scales. They are very heavy on the weighing scales. So there is a lot of reward for them. وَأَفْضَلُ هَذَا النَّوْعِ أَجْمَعْ لِلْثَّنَاءِ وَأَعَمُّهُ نَحْو قَوْلِ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَبِحَمْدِهِ عَدَدَ خَلْقِهِ وَرَضَ نَفْسِهِ وَزِنَةَ عَرْشِهِ وَمِدَادَ كَلِمَاتِهِ فَهَذَا أَفْضَلْ مِنْ مُجَرَدْ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ So it's been mentioned that you can add on and The form of the remembrance upon that method there Is greater than just saying Subhanallah Subhanallah wa bihamdihi And then the remainder That is superior to just saying Subhanallah So these types are when you do that remembrance of Allah You say those statements and you do that dhikr Another type then is هو الخبر عن الرب تعالى بأحكام أسمائه وصفاته نحو قولك الله عز وجل يسمع أصوات عباده ويرى حركاتهم ولا تخفى عليه من أعمالهم خافية وهو أرحم بهم من آبائهم وأمهاتهم وهو على كل شيء قدير وهو أفرح بتوبة عبده من الفاقد راحيلته ونح ذلك من الثناء عليه بما هو أهله مما أثنى به على نفسه وما أثنى به عليه عبده ورسوله محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم من غير تحريف ولا تعطيل ومن غير تشبيه ولا تنفيل. So the second type is when you are uh, mentioning information about Allah سبحانه وتعالى. The mentioning of information about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about his names, about his attributes. So for example, when a person mentions that Allah hears all of the sounds of his servants, Allah hears everything. And he sees all of the movements of creation of mankind, of everything. And there is nothing hidden from Allah whatsoever. And he is more merciful to the people than their own mothers and their own fathers. More merciful to them than their own mothers and their own fathers. And he is all capable upon everything. And he is more happy with the tawbah. The repentance and seeking of forgiveness that a servant makes and seeks from Allah. Allah is happier with that than a person who loses his riding animal and then it comes back to him and he finds it. How happy that person would be. And Allah is happier with the individuals, his servants, that they repent and they return back to him and seek forgiveness. And so... Praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with these types of affairs and mentioning the names and attributes of Allah, then this is also from the forms of dhikr. And that's why they say it is so important to learn the knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah. The knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah. Because Allah has many names And if you learn those names and you understand the meanings of those names, then that has a great impact upon a person. (coughs) A great impact upon a person when he understands the meanings of the different names of his Lord, the meanings of Al-Hayy, Al-Qayyum, the meanings of Al-Aziz, al rahman al rahim Al-Aleem, Al-Hakim. So many names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala If a person was to understand those names and the meanings of them And the attributes which are derived from them Then certainly that would impact upon you The second overall type of the remembrance of Allah Is through the remembrance of Dhikr amrir rabbi wa Nahyihi wa The commandments of your Lord, and the prohibitions of your Lord, and the rulings of your Lord. And so this can be done how? When you think about and you remember the rulings... Of what is halal and what is haram. And Allah has commanded this and forbidden that. When you're talking about those things, that is all remembrance of Allah. Allah is the one who has commanded you with this and told you to do this and it's for your benefit. And Allah is the one who has prohibited you from such and such and told you not to do such and such. So when you're talking about those affairs of what is permissible, what is not permissible what is halal, what is haram, then all of that is returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have the remembrance of Allah in that way. And when you mention that such and such an action is beloved to Allah, and such and such an action is not beloved to Allah, and Allah is pleased with such and such an action, and Allah is displeased with such and such an action, when you talk about those different actions and the ones Allah is pleased with and the one Allah is displeased with, then all of that is remembrance of your creator. All of that mention of those affairs is a means of remembrance of Allah. And that's why the scholars, they mentioned, some of them stated, majalis al-halal wal-haram. كَيْفَ تَشْتَرِي وَتُصَلِّ وَتَصُومُ وَتَنْكَحْ وَتَضَلِّقْ وَتَحُجْ وَأَشْبَهْ هذا. That the sittings of remembrance, the sittings, the gatherings of dhikr, what are they? He said they are the mentioning, talking about what is halal and what is haram, and how you buy, and how you pray, and how you fast, and how you marry, and how you divorce, and how you do hajj. Talking about those affairs is remembrance of Allah. And that's why we were talking about knowledge before, when you're seeking knowledge. Then this is that knowledge, and that seeking of knowledge, and talking about what Allah's commanded, and the rulings of Hajj, and this affair, and that affair. All of that knowledge, and the mention of the ayat, and the mention of the ahadith, all of that is from the forms of dhikr of Allah. So a person needs to understand dhikr is not just what people have made it these days that dhikr, you turn off the lights and you have to do this and that, made up all of those types of things. Dhikr is the actual remembrance of Allah through talking about the rulings and commandments of Allah, the prohibitions from Allah, the sunnah as a whole, the Quran, the ayat and doing the actual remembrance in terms of your statements subhanallah, alhamdulillah, allahu akbar, la ilaha illallah, these are all forms of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then, the next small section is going to talk about the importance of having knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah. The importance of having knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah why is there such an importance to have knowledge of those affairs it can be summarized into several points one of them is inna ilma al sifat wa wa that having knowledge regarding the Tawheed in the names and attributes of Allah, it is from the most noble and virtuous and highest type of knowledge that a person can gain. Because sharaf ul ilm wa fadluhu min The virtue and the honor and the status of a type of knowledge Is dependent on the the content Or the, 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 the content of that knowledge What is the meaning of that knowledge What is that knowledge revolving around Then that will give the status to that knowledge So the knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah Is of course in relation to Allah And there can be nothing more than that. So, when you're learning about the names and attributes of Allah, you are learning about Allah. And that's why it is the greatest form of knowledge and the most virtuous and noble form of knowledge. Secondly, when you gain knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah, so therefore you start to understand who Allah is. That increases your love for your creator And your awe to your creator Recognition of the greatness of your Lord It increases your recognition of the greatness of your Lord And it increases your fear of your Lord It will increase your fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also But it increases your hope in Allah also, meaning once you start to understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you start to understand the different names and attributes and meanings of them. Not Allah is the merciful, but Allah is the most severe in punishment also. You start to understand all the different affairs, then that increases your love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it also increases your fear of your Lord, knowing He's the most severe in punishment for the ones who do not obey, for the ones who do not accept the rulings and the commandments that Allah sent to us, the ones who are disobedient and then the hellfire is prepared for them, those who do not accept and believe in Allah, and believe in the messengers, all of the prophets and messengers that came up and including the final messenger, up to and including the final messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Those who do not accept that, and do not practice that, and do not enter into Islam, then you fear that severe punishment of the hellfire. But at the same time, those who enter and are upon Tawheed and monotheism and worship of Allah alone, then you have that great hope and desire for that reward and blessing of paradise, that which will remain forever thereafter. This world a few days and a few nights and they pass by and you are done and gone. But the afterlife is forever And so this life is the opportunity for an individual to start to gain knowledge of who his Lord is, to understand the names and attributes, and to then increase his iman. (laughs) Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said, وَلَيْسَتْ حَاجَةُ الْأَرْوَاحِ قَطُّ إِلَىٰ شَيْءٍ أَعَظَمَ مِنْهَا إِلَىٰ مَعْرِفَةِ بَارِيْهَا وَفَاطِرِهَا وَمَحَبَّتِهِ وَذِكْرِهِ وَالْإِبْتِهَاجِ بِهِ Ibn al said The souls, our souls They are not in need of anything More than their need to know who their Lord is We inside do not have a need A pressing, an urgent need For anything more For anything greater Than the need That we have inside of ourselves To know who our Lord is Who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Who our creator is And we all seek To gain closeness To our Lord we all seek to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can we do that? How can we gain closeness to Allah? How can we gain knowledge of who Allah is? لا سبيل إلى هذا إلا بمعرفة أوصافه وأسماء. There is no means to doing that except through knowledge of His names and attributes. فَكُلَّمَا كَانَ الْعَبْدُ بِهَا أَعْلَمْ كَانَ بِاللَّهِ أَعْرَفْ So the more knowledge a servant has of the names and attributes of Allah, then the greater the person becomes in his seeking of that closeness to him. فَكُلَّمَا كَانَ الْعَبْدُ بِهَا أَعْلَمْ كَانَ بِاللَّهِ أَعْرَفْ وَلَهُ أَطْلَبُ وَإِلَيْهِ أَقْرَبُ So the greater knowledge a person has of the names and attributes of Allah Then the more he knows about his Lord And the more that he seeks to be close to his Lord And gain that closeness to him وَكُلَّمَا كَانَ لَهَا أَنْكَرْ كَانَ بِاللَّهِ أَجْهَلُ وَإِلَيْهِ وَمِنْهُ أَبْعَدْ But the greater a person rejects his Lord, rejects Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and does not enter into Islam, then the greater the person's ignorance will be in his heart, and the more distanced he will feel, the more hollow that person will feel, That the life is passing by and the days are passing by, but nothing of substance in the heart. The heart is empty and the heart is hollow, with no meaning that provides sufficiency to that individual. Because the only thing that can provide that sufficiency to the heart, that contentment to the heart, is through knowing Allah and to obey Allah and to be upon the worship of Allah wallahu yanzil al-Abd min nafsihi haythu yanziluhu abdu min nafsihi ay yanzil alabd min nafsihi haythu yanziluhu alabd min nafsihi anna allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the meaning of that will basically put the servant upon the level that the servant is towards allah If you are in a good level towards Allah with your understanding and practice and worship, then Allah places you upon a high level. But if you are ignorant of Allah, not accepting, not practicing, nothing, then you are putting yourself down and Allah therefore puts you at a lower level, at a level that is below. The third benefit of learning the names and attributes of Allah is that anna llah khalaq al khalq wa awjadahum min al adam wa sakhkhara lahum al samawat wal ard wa ma fiha wa fiihima li ya'rifuhu wa ya'buduhu may understand that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created all of this creation and brought it about into existence from nothingness and then Allah has made these heavens and earths and everything that is in them for us to then recognize the greatness of our Lord. If you now look at the size of the mountains and the size of the rivers and the size of the stars in the universe, then you realize the greatness of the creator of all of these things. If this creation is so magnificent, Then certainly the creator is mighty and majestic and greater in magnificence. (coughs) So the greatness of the creation indicates to you the even more greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Allah said, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ مَا أُرِيدُ مِنْهُم مِنْ رِزْقٍ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ يُدْعِمُونَ Allah said He did not create mankind or jinn except for one reason, except for us to worship Him. Not because Allah needs His servants to worship Him. Allah doesn't need our worship. (coughs) If nobody worshipped Allah, it would not affect Allah. It would not impact upon the kingdom of Allah. And if everybody worshipped Allah, it wouldn't increase the kingdom of Allah. So neither would it increase the kingdom of Allah, neither would it decrease the kingdom of Allah. If everybody worshipped Allah, or if nobody worshipped Allah, Allah is not in need of our worship. So when Allah tells us, He has created us to worship Him, it's not because He needs us to worship Him. It's because we are in need of worshipping Allah to gain the reward from Allah afterwards. How do we know Allah doesn't need our worship? Because in the Quran, when Allah tells us He created us to worship Him, He tells us straight afterwards, but I do not want anything from them, any rizq, any sustenance from them. Allah doesn't want anything from us, He doesn't need anything from us. But He created us to worship Him not because he needs our worship, not because he has any need for us, but we are in need of the worship. We are in need of worshiping Allah so that we may have the mercy of Allah and enter into paradise. فَهَذِهِ الْغَايَةِ أَلَّتِي خُلِقَ الْخَلْقُ لِأَجْلِهَا وأوجد لِتَحْقِيقِهَا فَالِشْتِغَالُ بِمَعْرِفَةِ أَسْمَاءِ اللَّهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ اشْتِغَالُ So, if you now know that you have been created to worship Allah, then clearly it is from the greatest of importance that you learn who Allah is and who you are worshipping. What are His names? What are His attributes? What are the names and attributes of Allah? It is from the core Of your existence to understand who your Lord is and to worship your Lord. The fourth benefit of learning the names and attributes of Allah or the fourth point regarding it is that learning the names and attributes of Allah is actually one of the pillars of Iman. Because the first pillar of faith There are six pillars of faith for a Muslim, faith in iman in Allah and in the angels and in the prophets and messengers and in the books and in the (coughs) day of judgment and then in the decree. Those are the six parts, one of them is belief in Allah, what is iman in Allah it is knowing the names and attributes of Allah. Learning and knowing about the different names of Allah. Knowing about the different attributes of Allah. That is what increases your ability or your understanding and your iman, your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Allah mentioned in the Quran, إِنَّمَا That the ones who truly fear Allah from his servants are the scholars. Because they are the ones who have learnt about the names and attributes of Allah. So they are the ones who know who their Lord is in reality. They are the ones who then love Allah more and fear Allah more also. Some of the Salaf or one of the Salaf he used to mention. The Salaf, imagine, students of the Prophet Or students of the students of the prophet, students of the companions. One of them used to say, if it was said to me, if it was said to me that right now the deeds you've done in your life, you have got one foot in paradise or one foot in hellfire. Which one do you think it is? He said, I would not know. I would not know. Maybe I am the person with the one foot in paradise, maybe I've done good, but maybe I have been so poor in my worship and obedience, I could be the one with one foot in the hellfire. And this is from the Salaf, the companions, the students of the companions, those who are with the messenger, the companions and then their students, and one of them is saying, I have no idea, maybe I could still be one of the people in the hellfire yet. Maybe I have one foot in the hellfire. But now people are so confident. So confident and they think everybody will enter paradise without doing any actions, without doing worship, without doing obedience. So it is important to have this knowledge. The salaf they used to say, من كان بالله أعرف كان Lahu ahwaf Whomsoever is more knowledgeable of Allah Will be more fearful of Allah Because then you understand The reality of the affairs Fifthly The fifth thing you can note here Regarding the names and attributes أنّا العلم بِهِ تَعَالَى أَصْلُ الْأَشْيَاءِ كُلِّهَا That having knowledge ...of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... ...it is the basis of everything. The knowledge of who your Lord is... ...of who your creator is... ...that is the basis of everything. <laughs> because if a person understands... ...the names and the attributes of Allah... Then he will be able to understand the rulings and the legislations and why they have come. Because Allah does not do anything except that it is from what is necessitated by His names and attributes. Allah would not do something which is dispraiseworthy. Allah only does the praiseworthy. And all of the actions of Allah are praiseworthy. All of them revolving around justice and virtue and wisdom. And so Allah does not decree an affair except that it will be upon recognition of the names and attributes of Allah. So all of these things, if a person thinks about them and understands about the names and attributes of Allah, you will certainly Have a much greater level of Iman, a much greater level of hope and fear in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And perhaps next week, what we'll do is select two or three or four more names, if the opportunity is possible, and mention some more of the names of Allah and some of the meanings. But today, we'll cut it short, slightly, I was delayed quite a lot And then there were roadworks as well here in Leeds We'll uh, uh, cut it slightly short today But inshallah ta'ala, we'll uh, have the full session next week Hopefully on time, which is supposed to be 8.30pm So we'll try and target starting at 8.30pm inshallah ta'ala Next week uh, once again Any questions up to there then? Any questions on any of that or anything else? I question. No. Uh, who are the uh, practitioners of uh, uh, Basically, the Sufis. Uh, so, what is their akida, and uh, is it in. Uh, uh, I mean, in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah and their practices. The Aqidah of the Sufiyya, the Sufis is not the Aqidah which is the true and correct aqidah. They have many errors including in the names and attributes of Allah. They do not accept and believe in the names and attributes of Allah properly. They do not understand the names and attributes of Allah properly. They do not have their iman regarding these affairs properly. They fall into interpretations of their own, which are false interpretations. They may fall into rejection of certain names and attributes. There are errors they have in that field. Then there are errors they have in other fields of aqida also. The Sufis are known for their errors in various aspects of aqida. Even when it comes to worship, some of the extreme Sufis, they believe that Paradise, Hellfire. None of that matters. Forget that. We're just worshipping Allah because of our love for Allah. It is all about the love. We're not bothered about getting into paradise. We're not afraid of the hellfire. It is just love. Love. And that's why they go into all of that spirituality as they call it. Forgetting that there are so many other things in the religion. You need to balance out with it. So there are many errors. There are many errors and many... uh, False stories in their books The Sufis False stories that are stories of shirk They are stories of shirk That they have It is clear that they are not Upon the methodology of Ahl-Sunnah And there are many pathways of the Sufis Many different methodologies Amongst the Sufis themselves But they are certainly not Ahl-Sunnah Wal-Jama'ah upon their beliefs as where I work, there are different staff networks, one of which is there are what? staff networks, so ah. staff ah. we've got one called Islamic Fellowship, which is led by this lady who is able mm. hijab, so that tells you the mm. set of things, and uh, I've attended one of uh, events of the, night, the some of her representations of Islam, uh, yeah, a bit. Misguided. Mm. So, things about polygamy, about men shaking hands mm. with women. Mm. So, I'm just wondering, as Muslims, have we got any responsibility to want to I don't know, get involved? Not all just depends on the specific circumstances. In a work environment, you don't have much control of what's going on. There may be somebody who's organized some type of group. You're not going to be able to create some rebellion or take over that organization for yourself. If something is going on amongst people, you try to give da'wah to your colleagues. You try and give uh, the correct information to your colleagues working with you in your department and other people, other staff members. You do what you can. You give them information. You give them literature. You give them uh, leaflets. You give them CDs. You try and do what you can in terms of spreading the da'wah in that way. But as for these other types of networks and things they set up. It's not upon a Muslim to say, okay, I need to go and do something and get involved and get people together and do a vote and get me into president. All those things, you're going to end up wasting your time. Wasting your time trying to get into this network. And even if you get into that network, it'll be a a week later, they'll go set up another one and they'll start spreading their falsehood again. So there's no point trying to say, I need to get into this network or that one or get involved here, get involved there. That will waste your time. You just carry on with your da'wah Carry on with your spreading of the literature, the series, the leaflets to your colleagues, to your friends, to those work people. And inshallah ta'ala, those who are true and sincere, they'll start to benefit from these. Hmm. So, In so. regards to loving and hating for the sake of Allah, and particularly hating for the sake of Allah, believers and such, how, how do we understand that? And if someone says they, they can't do that, I mean, hating. For the sake of Allah, it means hating shirk and the people of shirk and also people of innovation and misguidance and deviance who are opposing the Qur'an and the sunnah to a level as well. But as the scholars, they say, there are two perspectives to that issue. Yes, you hate kufr and shirk and the mushrik. You can't love a mushrik. In terms of his beliefs And what he's upon Clearly you hate all of that He's upon shirk, he's upon kufr. You can't love that But You have that hatred from that angle Of the shirk and the kufar etc But there's another angle Which is that no matter what level Of kufar and shirk this person is upon And you hate that And you hate that person for that reason That tomorrow He could be Muslim The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam On one occasion made du'a Against some of the mushrikun By name But then Allah revealed Laysa laka al amri shaykh That you are not in control Of that affair And what happened afterwards Those mushrikun The ones the Prophet made du'a against Or was uh, uh, making the du'a Of curse against them And Allah said Laysa laka al amri shaykh You do not have control over those affairs Who's gonna accept the guidance who isn't And they did actually End up becoming Muslim So you have the hatred for the mushrikun And the shirk But at the same time you recognize That the worst of them could be The best of them tomorrow Khalid ibn al-Walid The battle of Uhud Was still with the Mushrikun He's the one who came around And then made the battle again And some of the companions were killed Yet afterwards Khalid ibn Walid radiyallahu an So you have that angle of hatred Of shirk and kuffar And the mushrikun But also the angle Of mercy and wisdom In giving da'wah And tomorrow This one That one could be your brother Could be your sister in Islam So there's a balance Not that the khawarij Or the extreme individuals Kuffar This kuffar That And tomorrow, maybe all of them or some of them they become Muslim as well. So, a person needs to be balanced and understand how it works. It is not a level of extremeness in any affair. I just ask a follow up on that. So, what if someone says, if you have a Muslim who's oppressed you and who's an open sinner, Mm. and you have a Kafir who's someone who has good manners? Then you still love the Muslim. You still love a Muslim. More than you would love or, or or have any feelings of empathy towards a Kafir because he 's done good to you that 's the same example as within Islam. Imagine there is a mubtadi' outright mubtadi' innovator outright but he 's somebody you 've known since primary school you 've grown up with him, he helped you buy your house he gave you a big loan said pay it back whenever you want he uh, uh, helped you with lots of other things he's your neighbor he 's been your your friend. For 30 years. And there's another guy who's Salafi upon the Sunnah. And something bad between you two happened. Still, your love for this person upon the Sunnah is greater. Than whatever you may have with this person you grew up with. And he's helped you and whatever else. Because at the end of the day, your love for this person of the Sunnah is because he is upon the Sunnah. Not as a personal characteristic and personal Personally you may not get on with everybody, it's not about personalities, there could be another Sunni Salafi but you just don't personally really get on with him, you don't like the way he talks, you don't like the way he dresses, you don't like uh, some other things about him, that can happen, that's not a problem but you still love him for being a Sunni upon the Sunnah. And you still dislike the innovator, no matter how much he helps you for the wrong that he's doing and the opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And you need to advise him and guide him. You still have that understanding that no matter what he does for me, he's upon pure bid'ah in what he's doing. Shirk even maybe, I need to advise him and to guide him. You still have that attitude towards him. And the Sunni, even if he's wronged you, that's a personal affair in terms of loving for the sake of Allah. Of course, you still must. He is a person of the Sunnah with shortcomings. He's wronged you, etc. Same example here then, a kafir, no matter what he's done for you, he's a kafir, he's upon disbelief, then you cannot possibly say you're going to put him superior to a Muslim upon the shahada who's maybe wronged you or done something bad to you. At the end of the day, he's a person of tawheed. A person of tawheed who will enter paradise, he's a person of kufr if he dies upon it, will enter hellfire. So a person needs to get things balanced. It's not about your emotions and your personal uh, personal. Uh, You know, how you get on with this person, don't get on with that person. Loving and hating for the sake of Allah isn't about your personal. I've known him for 30 years. I've only known him for two days. But he's an outright mubtadi' He's a person of the sunnah. So it is balanced upon the Quran and the sunnah you're loving for the sake of Allah, not your personal characteristics and uh, uh, engagements with people. What would you advise someone who says he can't do that? He he can't have the no, uh, A person does not have that option or that choice You cannot say I'm unable to love a person of the sunnah It doesn't mean love a person Imagine now somebody of the sunnah has wronged you It doesn't mean now that you have to be best friends with him It doesn't mean you have to go around to his house all the time You just fulfill the rights You see him, you give him salam. then You don't backbite him You just fulfill the rights It doesn't mean you have to be best friends with him it doesn't mean you have to invite him around for dinner all the time it doesn't mean that Maybe a person of the sunnah, you had a fallout to them, something happened. Okay, but just fulfill the rights, don't backbite him, don't go around spreading stories about him. And you at the end of the day recognize that whatever issue I've got with him and he did this to me and that to me. At the end of the day, he is a person of the sunnah, that I can't take away from him. He is implementing the Quran and the sunnah. Yes, he's got mistakes and errors and he wronged me and did this and did that. But at the end of the day, I can't take away from him that he is trying to practice the Quran and the sunnah. That I can't, I can't reject that. It's impossible to reject that. Whereas these other people, they might be good to me, but they're going and turning the lights off and celebrating birthdays and going around graves. How can you possibly say these are superior to them? How can you possibly have a feeling of goodness to them and a feeling of badness to him? Yes, you may have those feelings. You may not get on with such and such, but ultimately you can't take away that the fact is this person is a person of the sunnah and your loving for the sake of Allah is purely upon that sunnah. Not personal characteristic and personal wronging. So a person needs to uh, try to uh, understand that. Şeyh, uh, like some Ahlul Bidha, they miss the Salah. They miss the Salah? Yeah, like they, they postpone it and they join it at the end of the day. Join it how? Qadha Salah, I mean, they say. Uh, in the winter you mean? I mean generally. Generally for... If you see, they miss the Salah from their time. And then they'll cover it at the end of the day, all the five or. So yeah, it's it can... clearly impermissible. How can you possibly just join the prayers? It... Joining the prayers has reasons travel or sickness or certain reasons when you can join the prayers. You can't just join the prayers anytime. <coughs> Incorrect, impermissible. And what's the ruling on missed salah if somebody misses a salah? It depends why you missed it. If a person slept, for example, by accident, overslept, and you missed it and the next prayer has started, then you get <coughs> up and pray as soon as you get up. Or you know if there was some legitimate reason, maybe you had a car accident, an ambulance and fire brigade and everything's happening, and by the time they take you out to hospital then you realize where I didn't pray. My uh, Maghrib today, for example. So now you pray. Like in those situations you pray. If you slept or you forgot, something like that happened, then you pray. But as for a person who purposely misses it, he knows the time is going, is going, is going, and he can't be bothered, okay, give me this, give me a few minutes, whatever, and he doesn't pray it. And the time goes. That person now, the scholars say There's no qada for him He can make it up if he wants He's not going to get any reward for it now Punishment is upon him now He's done the sin He has done that sin of purposely missing the prayer Now you try to do qada, make it up That's not going to make up for it You missed it on purpose The one who misses it on purpose Some scholars say You can do qada if you want It's not going to help you Your qada doesn't save you now You purposely missed the prayer No In shape like In some other Uh, Some of the employers They don't allow And sometimes Then in that case No You cannot just Continuously Continuously Combine the prayers All the time Like we were talking about A few weeks ago Work it out With your lunch hours With your break What's the law these days 15 minutes every 4 hours All of those kinds of things You work out your breaks You work out when you can do it And you can maybe Try to combine Like Dhuhr at the end of its time And Asr at the beginning Of its time Like in winter Take your lunch between 1 and 2, for example, at 1 o'clock you can still pray your dhuhr. Maybe by 1.55 you can pray your asad before you go back after, you, after your break. So you can finish both prayers in that lunch hour. You have to work it out. You cannot just keep combining the whole winter. Last question. Uh, chef, I want to ask um, a lot of people in the subcontinent, um, probably in other parts of the world, they use prayer beads to make dhikr. And I know a lot of ulama say that that's that you shouldn't do that. But I believe a minority of ulama say you can use prayer beads if you don't assign a specific number to that dhikr. So what is the correct reason? like? Can you use the prayer beads and The asal of it, the default of it, there's no difference of opinion. The default is that there is no sunnah to use beads. No scholar is going to say, yes, there's a hadith about using beads. Nobody says that. So it's agreed that it's not in the core of the subject, in the default, the origin. There is no sunnah to use beads like that. The only thing, so therefore, upon that basis, it would be bid'ah. There's no sunnah, there's no hadith to use beads. The sunnah tells you to use your fingers, count on your fingers. In some narrations, it says, use your whole finger. Subhanallah, 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 subhanallah. And then subhanallah, so the whole finger. And then some of the scholars say, you can do the three, what people do sometimes, you can do that, some mention as well. So that's what's mentioned. Nothing about using date stones like they used to Sometimes. We're using these other beads now and otherwise the electric uh, ticking things and all these business now. There's none of that mentioned in the sunnah anyway. So in the origin of it, it would be a bid'ah to use that and to avoid using your fingers like the sunnah tells you. The only exception which may be possible, as some scholars said, like Sheikh Razan too, if somebody was elderly in age or they had some significant problem and they can't do it on their fingers. You know, they try to remember... And they forget. They start again and they don't know where they're going. Then maybe they can use something that helps them to count. As Sheikh al said, maybe in that specific situation, somebody's very old, they can't remember, they get confused, mixed up, don't know what's going on. So then you can use something, a counter or something, whatever it is, just to help them to remember the number they're on. But as for generally using it, then it's a, it's not a correct opinion to generally just use them and to uh, uh, avoid using the fingers. You're, like the uh, scholars of old used to say, when you do a bid'ah, then at the same time, one of the sunnahs dies. You start using beads and counters, then you're killing the sunnah using the fingers. Mm. So we'll have to conclude there. It's a bit late today. We'll continue next week. We'll try to aim for 8.30 inshaAllah. InshaAllah. <laughs>